Hello, you guys. It is campus afternoon meet, and uh, we're still in 2 Corinthians. And uh, I, we've had some enlightening moments in 2 Corinthians, but in Milk, we're doing Galatians. We just started it this morning. I can't tell you how excited I am to teach that book, and then Ephesians, and Colossians, and Philippians, and Philemon, and all those. 2 Corinthians, boy, we're going to get through it. In fact, we're going to get through a lot of it today. You got to do it so we can get it on the tape and consider it covered. So let's pray, and then we'll hear the Word of God set to music, and then we'll sit in silence for a minute and come back and get into our verse-by-verse -verse of 2 Corinthians. Lord, we uh, pause and thank you for life and recognize your hand, your providence in, in our lives and the goodness that you bestow upon us constantly. And we just uh, stop for a minute and thank you for all that you do. And uh, we just pray your spirit will be with us now as we consider your word and uh, read what Paul wrote to those believers at Corinth and help it to have some application to our lives today. And bless those people who are struggling in the faith, struggling with health, struggling with all the things that we in, in engage with in this life here and help those who are yours to overcome and help those who aren't yours to see you in their lives and to turn to you and live. So we pray for these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. One, two, three. One, two, three. Take it. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink. Of me, this God. 
often as you drink in remembrance of me. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. Okay, so we're going to wrap up chapter 10 today, even though we're only at verse 7 from last week, in part because there's not a lot of vital insights in my estimation. It's more dedicated to Paul and the interpersonal problems he's having with some of the believers or one of the believers at Corinth. And so last week we ended with verse 7, which says, Do you look on, the, uh, on, do you look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trusts to himself that he is Christ's, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ. And we talked about that verse, and essentially what Paul is saying is, we are Christ, and as much as you think you're Christ, when you look into your heart, um, not only on the outward appearance of men, uh, and see that you're a Christian, 
We are too. That's just kind of essentially what he's saying. So remember, he's having issue with them accepting his apostleship. He has the same problem in, in the church at uh, the churches in Galatia. So he goes on at verse 8 now. We're going to read through the end of the chapter. And some of these passages, I think from like verse 12 through verse 16, it's going to take a Urim and Thummim to understand. <laughs> a little joke there for you former Mormon people. All right. For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord has given us for edification and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed that I may not seem as if I would terrify you by letters. For his letters say they are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let such a one think this, that such as we are in word by letters when we are absent, such will we be also indeed when we are present. We dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. But we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God has distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure, as though we reach not unto you, for we are come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel of Christ, not boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having hope, when your faith is increased, that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly, to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you, and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready by, to our hand. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord, for not, excuse me, for not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. Those from 12 to 18, 12 to 17, 16, that's all talking about a subject we'll get to and understand it. But go back to verse 8, where Paul says, having made claim that we are Christ's, uh, as much as you think you're Christ, we are Christ, he says, for though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord has given us for edification and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed. In other words, if I was to boast of even higher claims of authority, he seems to be saying, you are a Christian, I'm a Christian, fine. But if I was to boast of higher authority uh, than I have done, um, a higher commission that I have gotten from Christ, uh, and the authority that comes with that, meaning that he's an apostle, which the Lord has given, he says, for their edification and not their destruction, he says, I wouldn't be ashamed if I boasted in that. So he, uh, why would he be ashamed? Because he would be telling the truth. You're a Christian, I'm a Christian. He made that clear in verse 7. But in verse 8, he says, but if I were to boast of my authority, my higher authority, I wouldn't be ashamed of it at all because I was called by Christ to do what I do. I have authority to do what I do. And uh, I'm not going to be ashamed for admitting that to you. He adds a difficult line saying at verse 9 that I may not seem as if I would terrify you by letters. He seems to be saying, I write this to you, verse 8, so that you know that I am not trying to terrify you or threaten you through my letters. 
In other words, I do have the power and authority and gift from God to do what I am doing. I do have that. But when you read my letters, don't think that I'm writing words just to seem bold and brash toward you. What I say is right in harmony with my higher authority and call. What I am capable of bearing, what I'm capable of doing, uh, that I may not seem that I would terrify you by letters. I wouldn't be ashamed of my boasting, and I don't want it to, you think that my boasting is to terrify you. It's very difficult language in the King James. In other words, I'm not threatening more than I can perform. I can do exactly what I suggest I can do. If my letters are bold, I can follow through bodily with my follow through on what I've said. And then he continues at verse 10, And this is uh, an interesting passage. For his letters, they say, or say they, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. So uh, he's citing what his critics are saying about him. His letters are weighty and powerful, but when you see him, he's weak and his speech is contemptible. It's a say they in verse 10 is talking about this they, and that they um, are criticizing him for this, that his letters are powerful, and, uh, and, but in presence he is weak and meekly, and he doesn't seem to back up the weight of his letters. It, it's better um, that it says, say, says he or says one, not says they. The Greek better means there's one person there who's really putting... Paul's reputation to the test. And uh, Tyndale even translates it as says he or says one and instead of says they. So it doesn't seem like there's this whole collective against him. But, you know, we have a very similar situation in, in terms of our day and age with uh, that. It occurs through social media. There's loud, brash, bold, arrogant letters people write on social media. And... Uh, but then when they come out from behind the screen, it's a little bit of a different story, um, a, a, a story, anecdotal story from my own life. When we first got into ministry, Mary and I way back, and we, we uh, started publishing this thing on Mormonism um, before we had the TV show, uh, I got into it with this guy online, and online was still kind of new, at least it was to me, and he was ripped me apart. He say he's going to you know, kick my butt if he ever sees me in public. And I'm in California. He was writing from Utah. I think he let me know he was from Utah. And he was an active LDS member, and he could really throw down, man. And uh, he even threatened me to a modern-day duel. I remember that. Let's have a duel. So um, I started coming up to Utah, and we started doing the show uh, and engaging with the community. I was at a church years ago, and there was a, a group of people there, And I was meeting them and shaking hands. And after I saw this skinny little teenager kid, uh, pimply-faced teenager kid there, and he shakes my hand and he looks really sheepish. And then one of the friends said, oh, that's the Sword of Laban. And that was his name online. And uh, I I just stared down as strongly as I could, and he just melted into the carpet. That's exactly what they're saying Paul does. He's bold and his behind the screen 
pronouncements against the church at Corinth. But in presence, it says they're weighty, that his letters are weighty, but in bodily presence, he's weak and his speech contemptible. Um, the weighty and powerful means heavy and strong. It means sore and strong. Some translations say that his letters are sore, S-O-R-E, and strong, and uh, energetic and powerful. All three of those different ways to say it are there. And uh, we recall that the Apostle Peter, when he was talking about Paul and his writings, he said this in 2 Peter 3.15, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, has written unto you. So Peter's referencing Paul's writings. And then he adds at verse 16. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood. Peter, an apostle, says that some of the things Paul writes are hard to be understood. And I really agree with him when we come to verse 12 through 16 of today. But that they are, he says, uh, Peter says, in which some things are hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unable and unstable rest, twist, move around, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. So Peter is saying these things are hard from Paul to understand sometimes, and the unlearned, they'll twist them and move them around uh, to their own destruction. But he says, like they do to the other scriptures, and the fact that Peter says that gives validation to the writings of Paul being considered as holy writ, scripture, canon. That's where we get the idea from another apostle that Paul's writings are considered inspired. So certainly Paul was the one who brings the logic and fire to the gospel once delivered to the saints, and he's not ashamed of it. Uh, and I've said this before, in fact, this morning, without Paul, we would not know how to take the teachings of Jesus to the, uh, his own, to the Jews, and apply them to our lives. They, it just would not make that much sense to us. All we would do is we would be walking around trying to live perfectly and to do all these things that Jesus said as a means to get the Jews to realize they had a need for a Messiah. But Paul is the one trained by Jesus who brings in some logic to how the message of Christ applies to Gentiles today. And so admitting that his letters are powerful, but also his bodily presence, his personal appearance is weak, it says. And it's a, it's a Greek uh, term in scripture that means sick, feeble, diseased, and even in some places is translated imbecilic. So uh, Paul admits, it says that they say my letters are weighty, but my physical appearance is sick, feeble, diseased, and even imbecilic. One of those words, they're all used through scripture to describe that Greek word. So it's really an unfair, mean observation. It comes from the hearts on people who judge on appearance and, uh, and not judge righteously, as Jesus said. So this is something human beings, you know, we naturally do that. We can't help it. Scripture says we look on the outward appearance of a man. Man looks on the outward appearance. That's what man does. Uh, but the Lord looks on the heart. We don't have the capacity to look on hearts, so we look at the outward appearance. That's not like saying it's not a reality. It's a reality of man. But um, I don't think it was a mistake that our Lord and King and Savior uh, was without beauty as Isaiah says. 
You know, I, I, I think it's a mistake. Some of the religions that focus on outward appearance will make their depictions of him much more uh, quarterback Jesus-like, you know, really handsome, perfect orthodontia, beautiful flowing hair and this golden bronze tan and this beautiful blue eyes and crystal clear, you know, and scripture does not accord with those artistic depictions of him. He was not that he would have anything that we would desire. That's what, you know, it says. So um, in any case, I think Paul's attackers were kind of being mean and petty toward him and uh, doing all they could to lower him in the esteem of others uh, because he was so uh, smart and logical. Chrysostom, I can never say his name right, says that Paul's stature was low, meaning he was short, his body was crooked, so somehow crooked, and that he was bald. Uh, so uh, we've also heard from Lucian uh, in a book called Philopatris that he had no advantage of personal appearance and that he had a large nose. So, uh, and then as the ages go on, the writers of Paul's appearance add more so you go back the earliest you can to uh, uh, Paul's day. Those writers give a few little things. As it goes on, his appearance gets more and more elaborate, interestingly enough. And I'm not going to read you what those things say. Maybe true, may not. But what we do know is right here in the Bible, Paul admits that they say his, lady, his, ladies, his, his uh, letters are weighty. Uh, but his appearance is contemptible. He himself admits that that's what they're saying about him. Uh, but uh, not his appearance. His, his appearance is uh, sickly. But he does say, and they say his speech is contemptible. And to a Greek, that could mean a number of things. And they were probably uh, Hellenized Jews who were living in a Greek area. They probably were well aware of Greek oratory. And in that day... A Greek speech giver was like our rock stars of today. They were looked up to. They were the guys. And you had really great talent if you were a Greek and you knew how to speak and really convince the crowds, you know. And so it could be saying that he doesn't have anything near the uh, oration that our other great speakers and philosophers have. Or they could be saying that he had a speech impediment that he had a stutter or he had a lisp or something like that. Um, we don't really know, but Paul's approach was not bombastic, it doesn't seem. It seems like he showed up meekly. He didn't approach teaching with the great oration skills. He just shared the truth, and the Spirit was what conveyed the message. So that's what they said about him, and Paul continues and says, Let such and one think this. Okay, so he's saying, let somebody who's saying this about me, that my speech is contemptible and my uh, letters are weighty. Let a person who says this say that such as we are in word by letters when we are absent, such will we be also in deed when we are present. Now, he seems to be saying, let anyone who thinks that they can criticize my weighty letters and then my contemptible uh, speech and appearance, don't flatter themselves to think that there's going to be a discrepancy between the weight of my uh, words in the letters and my actions toward you in person. So uh, he could have been getting in his flesh here at this time, 
and then I can back up everything I say uh, in my in presence with you. And the thing is, when we look at the history of Paul, I absolutely believe that. I, I don't think he's just blowing smoke here on Facebook. I think Paul is saying, I will step in there and I will, I will back up every word I say with my presence. It won't just be my letters that are weighty. It will be my presence too. Now, how could he make that? Well, he had the power to do miracles. He had the power of God with him. And so if there was a threat of some sort, I don't think Paul, looking at his history, was ever afraid to step into the arena with the Jews or with the, uh, uh, the uh, Greeks or with the Romans or anybody. He was, he was logical and he had, was cutting uh, sharp as a knife and he could articulate perfectly what needed to be said in those situations. And he didn't step back even to the point of being stoned several times, etc. So I doubt for a second that Paul was fearful of facing down his critics at Corinth. And in my estimation, he makes this very clear right there in verse 11. Now, at verse 12 through 16, it's going to require some tedious explanation because in the King James, and I consulted everything I could to really try to get a grip on it, but in the King James, it is not very easy. Let's read it. You read your version, and we'll get through it. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. So in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 10, we read that these sorts that had accused him of lacking boldness in their presence, um, they were there then. So in a strain of kind of irony, or he suddenly tells them, no, he does not have the boldness to become like they are. That's what I think he is saying here. Measuring, they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves among themselves. He says that's not wise in verse 12. And then he adds at 13, but we will not boast of things without our measure, beyond our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God has distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. So Tyndale translates this, but we will not rejoice above measure. So there's a really, there's a great deal of uh, ambiguity here in, in the language, and it's sort of caused by the brevity of these statements. They're, they're hard to really see exactly, but the general idea seems to be Paul says that he did not have boldness as they had, where they would boast of things beyond their actual attainments and, and influence on that thing. He did not boast of Peter's work in Jerusalem or James' work in Jerusalem. That was not something that he would do. And uh, he's not going to boast about having done anything where he has not been on the ground and labored uh, to, to, to do. They it's not improbable, had boasted of what had happened in Corinth um, as though it was their work. And th this would be common to boast in the works of one of their great philosophers and act like they were part of that. So it could be that he's trying to say, I don't need to do that. You guys can go and live that life. I don't have to boast and, and, and compare myself to others. 
I just do what I do, right? So in essence, Paul was claiming that while they were willing to be cynical of him and what he had actually done for the faith, they had personally not really done anything to boast of, and yet they remained boastful because the Greeks were very boastful of their, uh, their Greek armies and their Olympiads and their heroes and their orators, and they took great pride in that culture thinking that that was them too. So I, it seems like that might be what he's saying. Um, but it, that wasn't the case with Paul. He made no boast, he says, of anything but what God had enabled him to have in his evangelical labors and by his personal exertions in the faith. So he entered into no other man's labors, is what he says, and he claimed nothing that others uh, had done as his own. Uh, that's his point. Uh, the senses that God had measured out, and keep this kind of idea in mind, he had measured out a respective field of labor for Paul and for Peter and James as in their ministry of the gospel. And uh, that was the only thing that Paul says he would even think of boasting of. But at verse eight, uh, 17 or 18, he clears that up and says, all the glory goes to the Lord anyway. But he adds, <clears throat> a measure to reach even unto you. Okay, so... As the apostle to the Gentiles, and therefore the whole country of Greece, he was given a measure to reach even out to Corinth, is what he says there. And he was willing to reach out to all of them, not as an intruder, but within the rights of his call as an apostle. So he says, verse 14, But we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure, as though we had reached not unto you, for we are come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel of Christ. It's a very confusing passage. But he seems to be saying, we have not tried to reach beyond these proper limits. Again, he reiterates this. We have not endeavored to enlarge beyond reaching even to you. We've reached out to where our, our area was, and we have honestly stayed within the proper limits. As though we reached not unto you, for we come as far as you. His point is, Greece was in our boundaries, and it's taken us to reach out as far as where you are. That's his whole point in this, these four or five verses. Verse 15, not boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other man's labors, but having hope when your faith is increased, that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly. Okay, false teachers came after Paul established the church at Corinth and entered into his labors. And Paul seems to sort of mock them a little bit by saying that this is not what they do as apostles. Instead, he says, but having hope, when your faith is increased, he says, we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly. That's a mouthful in the King James too. Our boasting, he seems to be saying, therefore, is not limited and does not extend into the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith grows, our influence among you might, be, might greatly increase, though still confined to our sphere or rule of uh, measure, okay? When, he could also be saying, we have the hope that when you become so strong in the gospel, 
that um, we will be enlarged, or perhaps better, we will then boast in you. There is the chance that he's saying that once you have matured in the faith, not only will we be enlarged and boast in you, we will have our measure broadened by God and we can go on to further places. Once you're ready to hold Corinth by your faith, our measure will grow. And so our hope is that you will grow in the faith and then we can boast and we can reach out further than where we have. This seems to be the major thought behind these uh, verses. So I think um, that this is a better translation because uh, of the next verse, that last thing I said. To preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. So what regions Paul refers to is only conjecture, you know, but we know that he did seek to go to Italy and we know from Romans 15.24 and Romans uh, 15.28, he intended to go to Spain. So it's quite possible that all this major talk is saying, listen, when you guys get your act together, I'm going to be able to leave this area and go to these other places like Spain and preach this gospel that I, I have. So we know he wanted to go there and he may have wished that the Corinthians would have helped him get there. And so he is just talking about his desire to go to these other churches. Uh, and he adds, and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. And we preach the gospel uh, to outer regions, but not to boast in um, what anyone else has done, he seems to reiterate there. And I think it means that while he intended to go beyond the borders currently in place, the measure given to him of God, he sought to go beyond them, making sure not to tread on what anybody else had done. All that is in these verses. Sometimes we can only guess what he means. I, you know, it's, uh, they're, they're not easy. And that is what all the scholars and commentators do. They guess often as to what he means. And that's why there's so many different opinions. And there really are. So Paul adds a little line that's relatively clear for us now at verse 17. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Now that one I can take. That one I get. My simple mind understands that. Okay. In other words, whatever may be the occasion of our boasting, whether it was in planting churches or watering, uh, bringing souls to the faith, no matter what, Paul admits that the glory um, would be to the Lord. And in the previous part of the chapter, there has been some real irony going on here. He closes this chapter with the utmost seriousness, I'm not sure he was, he seems to sort of be jesting around here a little bit. And it's maybe a carryover from the other chapters we've been, been seeing. But he's sort of like playing around with words of you do this and you do that and we do this and we do that. I, I can't really tell what he means. If you can, great, share it with us. But when he says, but you know, our boasting is only uh, in the Lord. He could have been citing that great passage that so many of us love in Jeremiah 9. It's 23, 24. Many people love this where he says, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, uh, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glory, uh, glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, 
that's Yahweh, which exercises loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in earth. And it's such a profound uh, couple passages there. So it's, it's quite likely that he is referring to that indirectly, to the boasting always being in the Lord. I think human boasting is something that, um, as I've grown in the faith, have by the Spirit, um, we're all very much part of it. It's just part of our nature. So it takes some real discipline to keep the boasting to a minimum uh, whenever possible. And when you think about it, after all, anything that we do really is not us. If you really give it some thought, you know, we were given our gifts. We were given where we grew up. Yes, we did own them and we did return talents. But the innate abilities, I believe, um, were given to us for purposes and they were gifts. And so in those gifts, there's no reason for us to boast about them because they all are for the Lord. Paul and Jeremiah appear to have understood that the focus ought to lie where those things came from, which is the Lord. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, which is an interesting book, but Ecclesiastes 9.11, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. It's pretty interesting words coming from Solomon and uh, him having been give, given the gift of wisdom. So no boasting unless it's in the Lord. And uh, that, it was a favorite sentiment of Paul because back in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1.31, he says, according as it is written, he that glories, let him glory in the Lord. So it's the second time in his letters that we have that he has brought this passage out. Okay. Paul concludes with, For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. That's a fantastic passage. A gem in the otherwise uh, mossy state of chapter 10, because it's not when you commend yourself, it's who the Lord commends. There's a proverb, Proverb 27.2. It says, let another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not thine own lips. I think that's really good advice. And so let yourself be praised by others, but refrain from the boasting that you might want to make of yourself. The only uh, commendations Paul makes uh, suggest anyone needs are the commendations of the Lord. Like this is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. So that wraps up 10 in a rather fast pace, and uh, we're going to move into 11. I'm not going to cover it verse by verse, but I do want to read it, get it in our heads. There's not enough scripture reading in my mind in the churches, and so we read through our passages, and I'm going to end with just reading through chapter 11 to see what we're going to come up with next week. It may be a chapter that we stop and pause and spend a week or two on some concepts. It may be one we breeze through just like we did on 10. So let's read through 11 and uh, preparation to hit it exp uh, uh, expositionally next week, if so led. There are some theological gems in this passage, so I have a feeling it's going to take us longer to get through. Verse 1, Would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, 
For I have espoused you to one husband, that I might present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit, which you have not received, or another gospel, which you have not accepted, you might well bear with him. We're going to have to explain what that means. For I suppose I was not a whit behind the chiefest, the very chiefest apostles. But though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. Have I committed an offense in abasing myself that you might be exalted, because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely? I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do you service. And when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man. For that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. And in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome, to, burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no man shall stop me of this boasting in the reasons of Achaia. Wherefore, wherefore, because I love you not, God knows. But what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion. And thereby they glory, they may be found even as we. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. I say again, let no man think me a fool, if otherwise, yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast myself a little." That which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting. Seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. For you suffer fools gladly, seeing ye yourselves are wise. For you suffer if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face. I speak concerning reproach, as though we had been weak. Howbeit, when in soever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. This is a radical little <laughs> exposition here. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, he says again. I am more in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths off. Of the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I was suffered shipwreck. A night and day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbery, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, 
in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides those things that are without, that which comes upon me daily, the care of all the churches. (coughs) Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern my infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. In Damascus, the governor under Aratos, the king, kept the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desirous to apprehend me. And through a window in a basket, I was let down the wall and escaped his hands. That's chapter 11. And there's a lot of stuff for us to cover in it, which we will continue to do next week. Questions, comments to Patricio, and we have a list. Thank you. Hi, Sean. Hi, Patrick. It's been a minute. It has been. We're glad your voice is back with us and your person. Thank you. Um, So... Paul's an interesting character because you were reading, I know you're going to get into 11 next week, but you just read something. I robbed churches. <laughs> like, we see the weakness of Paul. I don't know what it means. I haven't I, studied it yet. Do you? I, I, I would just say that was a weakness he had. He just took money where it wasn't necessary. And You think that's what it means? I think he was just using money wrongly. Yeah. I wow. think he'd made a mistake. Hmm. Not, not that uh, he can, uh, yeah, I just think he made a that just shows me that the human side of the apostles. He's definitely, his human side comes out in 2 Corinthians. Yeah. He keeps calling himself, I'm speaking as a fool. It's just interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to find out what that means. Now, I have a question. Yes. It doesn't exactly relate to um, the chapter you did today. Yes, that's okay. But um, are we still living in dispensations? Like, not, not the way the Mormons say dispensation, like Joseph Smith, fullness of time, but are, are we like in different dispensations? I don't think, I don't, I'm not a dispensationalist. That was created, uh, that was really promoted by a guy in the 1800s. And uh, so, and that is really what led to futurism <coughs> as being popular. Yeah. So no, I think we're in an age. I think we're in the, the Jews thought of, of the time as the age we're in and the age to come. And I think we're in the age to come now. But the, the reason why I'm curious about that, because Paul talks about in uh, Ephesians 3, 2, he says um, in the New King James, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. So he's probably referring to the second age mm-hmm. and calls it a dispensation. We'd have to look to see what the Greek says in terms of that. Yeah. It's probably oikonomia. It says uh, in the Bible app Greek, it says administration. And what is the Greek word? It's probably oikonomia, which means in the economy of the dispensation of grace. It is, um, you've heard of the administration, or kava, whatever. I can't pronounce it. Oh, is it a short word or long word? Hand that to him. <clears throat> he sounds sick. Just hold it up. No, it's because of the... Mold. The, yeah. Yeah, it's oikonomia. Yeah. Yeah, it means the economy. Uh, you just like oh, okay. you're in a, a, a democratic economy, 
With Clinton, you're in a Republican economy with Bush. <laughs> the two different types. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome, brother. Okay, thanks, Sean. All right. Anybody else? Is that it? Okay, we've got some people to pray for, and let's get out of here. Lord, uh, help us to understand the scripture that we have. We're grateful for it. It's a wonderful, beautiful, magnificent gift, uh, but that can be uh, misunderstood and abused, and we just pray to understand it, that we can have an understanding and knowledge of you. That's why we study it, to know you, which is life eternal. We pray for people on our list, Leah Cadavan, who's been diagnosed with bone uh, uh, a rare sort of bone cancer. I just got a call from her asking for us to put her on the list. So we pray for her and diagnoses and help and uh, by the medical um, community and by people who have been uh, gifted with the skills to in the minds to understand these things and help her to have healing. If it's your will, we pray for Jeff Jenks and his mindset and his difficulty and heartbreak. Uh, going through a difficulty in his life right now with a divorce. We pray for, speaking of divorce, Micah and Sam, his wife, that, uh, that they will have your presence with them and to overcome the obstacles that are pushing them to break up. And uh, that, that doesn't happen with their little daughter involved. And uh, we pray for Lisa, who is terminal, admits to being terminal, has declined to have chemo, and says will be with us for a matter of a few more months. Bless her with comfort. Help her to exit this world. She says she's ready to go to the Lord Jesus, and uh, I believe her. So we just pray for her comfort and to bless the heart of her daughter, her only daughter, and help her to deal with uh, the passing of her mom uh, so hard and so tough as uh, people in our midst know. So we pray for everybody who is suffering and struggling, Lord, and uh, just seek to be better Christians as we exit this building. Uh, not to come back to uh, play church, but to go out and be Christians and to uh, learn about you more. So we love you and pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our Oh,